0: Interchangeable White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Today we are really excited. We have a special guest and we have a great essential question. I do have that as well. (laughs) Um, Our essential
1: question today is what are white people doing wrong this time and how do we make it right? So, our guest today is
0: Danielle Stubblefield. Did I say that correctly? You did. Okay, great. Excellent. Um, She's a Seattle based online and frontline protester, mostly focused on anti racist work. You can also find her on Twitter, rounding up members of her own culture and race. So, we're really excited today because Danielle has a lot of things about a lot of things and can really help us be less basic, as our tagline is. Yeah, absolutely. So, why don't we start with a little bit of like where you're from and who are you? you Who are you?
1: Okay, so.
2: I am Seattle-based. I am the mother of three plus a bonus son. Um, I have two generations of kids. So I, my sons, I call them my sons, are 23 and 24, and I have daughters who are 5 and 7. Mm-hmm. So I have kind of split-generation things. So I'm doing the mom thing. And uh, I'm fortunate to be a stay-at-home mom, so I have a lot of time for activism mm-hmm. and um also, a lot of motivation for activism mm-hmm. because, of course, I'm a mom. I'm someone who cares about the world they're growing up in. And, uh, you know, just trying to do my part to um, be a good neighbor in the world, but also to help my culture um, kind of see ourselves mm-hmm. and grow from that and be better.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you define um, define your culture and, like, what are you thinking of? When yeah. You do that? yeah. What yeah, does that I look mean, like to you?
2: So I always think about things in a social context. Yep. So I— i I see white culture. I see myself as a white woman in white culture, and i and i and I claim members of my culture to be other people who, unlike my sons, don't get followed around stores because of the way they look. Mm-hmm. So people who have the privilege in society of being able mm-hmm. to move freely um, without suspicion, move freely, without being worried about being misjudged or um, feel threatened by by members of my mm-hmm, culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So how did you get started in your uh, activism work? Was, was, there, there, so, a was there an, moment? Moment? Yeah, was there yeah, an event that pushed you into I it? You know what? I think
2: that uh, Trayvon Martin hmm. definitely put the fire in my heart. Mm-hmm. It was the first time even though I had seen examples of racism but it was the first time that my eyes opened mm. to systemic racism where I was like, whoa, this entire system mm-hmm. is working against him. Mm. And this entire system is working to exonerate the person mm. who took his life. Yep. And I saw him as so innocent and I saw his killer as so guilty. But yet I watched the system mm-hmm. work in such a way, in such a, um, a very tried and true and well-oiled way that I was hmm. like, wow, this is this is a thing. And that was the first time that my eyes opened now. It wasn't until Mike Brown was killed. I had just kind of started using Twitter. I wasn't I didn't even really know its purpose. Yeah. But I was but I was starting to use Twitter and so when Mike Brown was killed, I I was just playing on Twitter that day and I started seeing these things pop up and Pretty soon, I was very engrossed in it, and I and mm-hmm. it was people who were literally on the front lines. There, people just standing there with their phones, mm-hmm. regular people, people yeah. from that neighborhood videotaping what was going on, and it kind of grabbed me, and I just kind of stayed with it all the way through. Mm-hmm. And it was then that I started learning about, you know, that prosecutor, um, mm-hmm. uh, how his, how far back his. Racism went how far back his misdeeds Mm -hmm. had gone, and I just kind of watched the whole thing through. And then I remember the night before his non-indictment was announced, Darren Wilson's non-indictment was announced, I made my sign. I still have that sign. The sign is bent and raggedy, Hmm. and and it's been added to. I added to it, and and I've reinforced it with duct tape, but I've ever since— That first protest that I really just left my house by myself, went downtown with my sign and and just said, hey, this is wrong, you know. And and ever since then, of course, there were there that was not the first police killing. Right. That, of course, wasn't the last police killing. But that was the thing that got me off my couch Mm -hmm. and got me downtown Mm -hmm. and got me to risk, you know, my safety because of what I was seeing going on.
0: What did your sign say?
2: So the front part of it said it has a big enough. And then above that, it says enough lives lost to racist cops. Mm. And then it was hashtag Ferguson because that was the original hashtag. It wasn't Black Lives Matter, the the original hashtag. And then I added to it uh, for the Tamir Rice protest and the back of the sign now says in big, bold letters, our whiteness is terrorizing humanity. Mm. And... uh, you know, I get I get approached a lot about that. I get a lot of thumbs up. I get a lot of... Mm. Other fingers up, probably. A, a lot of other <laughs> fingers up. But yeah. that's my sign. And, you know, it's like I said, it's raggedy. It's kind of falling apart, but I just... I'm determined to keep it because it's sadly still relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Both yeah. sides. Can you say
0: that line again? It's just really powerful. Our whiteness.
2: Oh, our whiteness is terrorizing humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. So how do you see that um, the most today, I guess? If you were to pinpoint a couple things, like 2018, this presidency... What are some of the ways that you see that? So
2: I think that uh, when I think about whiteness, I think about like the um, I think about it in terms of the behaviors, Mm -hmm. but then also the system. So like the micro level and then the macro level, Mm -hmm. Um, what what the nails on the chalkboard for me is the micro level stuff, Mm -hmm. the stuff the Mm -hmm. the whiteness, the bad behavior that I see in my daily life in the grocery store wherever i see it i mm-hmm. see these bad behaviors by my own culture now of course we can talk about the systemic stuff yeah. that is that is holding entire generations and mm-hmm. entire cultures of people back from owning property from yeah. but but the things that in my daily life that i see are are you know the classic the the microaggressions it's the when i see members of my own culture step up in front of a person of another culture often black in deli lines hmm. oh, oh i didn't see you yeah mm-hmm. you know yeah, right. that kind of stuff those kind of things uh I probably have a disproportionately anger, angry reaction to that in public because it drives me crazy. We were recently at Starbucks, my friend and I, and we were sitting there having coffee. And she can always tell now when she sees this look on my eyes. She's like, oh, shit.
0: She's like, what did you she's notice? Like, oh. so,
2: so in this particular case, there was an Asian woman sitting over at a table of, for probably six. She was sitting there alone. She had her laptop. She was kind of spread out. Well, this group comes in, four white people. And you can tell, by the way, they're looking over at her table, covet, coveting her table, yeah. that they're that they're they're feeling more entitled to it. You know, they mm. they, don't understand, well, and, they yeah. don't understand why this person is in their way. Why she took all
1: six chairs for herself? Well,
2: they just don't understand why this person is in the way of what they want to do it's an entitlement it's it's a we want this and we're we're deserving Mm -hmm. of this so pretty soon soon I'm watching these people's faces and they're going over and they slowly just start asking her oh can we take this chair can we take this Mm. and I see the woman is physically like she's getting visibly uptight and upset she's really angry about it and finally I just can't say I can't not say something you know (laughs) and so this kind of thing would be probably confusing from the outside because Mm. it looked all very just transactional but it wasn't it was it was white people feeling entitled Mm. to the space that they wanted uh trampling and infringing upon her personal space and i do believe it's culturally related i do believe that in that moment they saw her as somebody who was not going to speak up or Mm. who wasn't you know Mm. uh wasn't going to stand up to their their little mini tyranny and so I had to speak up and say what are you guys doing like she's sitting there can you not see that she's sitting there that's her table you know, and yeah. and so it's those little things that I see on a daily basis that really get to me these days. How did um, mm. how did they
0: respond when you? Oh, sit down?
2: oh! Well, the irony is, it turned out that they're like some sort of activism group that were ah, like, ah, they, ah, well, well they, their activism was like no third runway. Um, oh, you know, look so at the they port. were, the, yeah, yeah, they were like the no through, and so I, I called them out on it, yeah. and I said, shame on you. I said, don't you see how ugly that is? And I, and I was, and I, I never used yeah. the word art culture, but I was, I was hoping to communicate it. Like, yeah. look at what you're doing. Look at how you're behaving. And they said, well, you don't even know what we're doing. And they, co- of course, it's the yeah, defensiveness. Defensive. It's always right. the defensiveness, you know. And um, Yeah. It doesn't,
1: it doesn't matter if you're protesting a third runway, if you're doing some imperialist bullshit at Starbucks. 100%. Right? And that's Sorry, always... Sorry, said the S word. I'm uh, no. not <laughs> you do you, boo. It's <laughs> our policy.
2: That always seems to be the case is like, um, I think that we, we can see racism in other people. It's really hard to see in mm-hmm. ourselves. So yep. what happens and, and I was going to talk to you about that mm-hmm. about in the gay community like do you find like when you came out to your friends and family yeah. did you find that they instantly because they love you so much they wanted to go on a crusade of I'm going to fight everybody who I deem as homophobic you know, with like I feel like we yeah. become especially like with racism we become teachers long
1: before we learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know
2: the minute we can see racism we try and go out and teach yeah. but but we haven't even done the work within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right, and
1: it really, like, well, I know that from coming out that it opened my eyes to a lot of, like... Oh, like other kinds of inequities that I didn't see or understand. Um and then for other people it did. I mean like my closest friends mostly were all also gay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and some closeted and it, we all kind of came out around the same time, like, Oh, you're gay? Okay, that's great. You're like that we great all found <laughs> we all like secretly found each other in this like secret society. Yeah. Um, but um yeah, no, I mean like there I had people in my life who were like, I'm gonna go join P Flag and it was just like a um there's kind of a rush to um you know but it wasn't everyone i mean i, I there were people i came out to who were just kind of like sort of blase about it like just oh that's cool like doesn't affect me right and just didn't really didn't really care about it um so yeah kind of a mixed bag but it's interesting how people react when you when you come out because um there are are always going to be people who go on the on the warpath right like like i'm gonna defend you to the death and like my brother did that, right? Like he was just like, but yeah, it's an interesting, it was an interesting mix. Especially so, in Seattle, right? right? Because like
2: Seattle is so liberal. Right. We have an abundance of teachers for all things, you know, we have yeah. all kinds of teachers, but yeah. Yeah. very few learners. Like, yeah. right. wow, we're all yeah. perfect already. This is right. bizarre that we've created a city uh-huh. full of experts. Well, and experts, it's like, but-
1: I, f- <laughs> I find it so funny when like, like people will, I don't know, people ask questions about like, um, Ask me think like especially if they've known me for a long time. Well, you used to date men, so like, how does that work? And it's like I, I really um not in the mood to explain that like while I'm just like, I don't know, while we're like having coffee or something. But yeah, I mean we can t- we can talk about it. But it's an in- it's interesting to be on the other the mm-hmm. kind of um the teaching end of that. I don't know. well
0: and you kind of bring up a good point about like um, that idea so we're both teachers right. <laughs> like for a professional like for work um, and just that notion that when you're a teacher you arrive that's not the case like no. good teachers and true teaching is like a constant state of learning like one of the things right. I love about teaching is I'm learning all the time from my students yeah. and the conversations we have and the things I look up so that I can better connect with them or right. like learn a new graphic organizer or learn a new strategy and it's that, that cycle right of like reflection and, and, and learning from right. each other Well, and, and then so also think people like, just forget that like and yeah. they think that they just never everything. kind of going back to your point about like Seattleites and many of us in Tacoma too we, yeah. we do this thing where we're just like oh I've arrived I'm now the head of this thing that's fountain of knowledge I, learned, like, I no. learned so
1: much when I started working at Lincoln and it actually like it's interesting
0: I learned so much more about
1: myself and how I react to homophobia mm. because student te- teenagers are just like yeah it's gay or they'll use the other F word which I don't yeah. like to use in polite company Um that I at first I was afraid to call that out because I didn't want students to be like what are you gay Right, mm. and so it took me a while to be like, "Why, yes, I am," and mm-hmm. here's why you shouldn't use that as an insult. But it took so long. I was yeah. like, I couldn't even. I couldn't do that yeah. as a member of the community. I was like, No, I don't. I I don't feel comfortable doing that because yeah. I didn't that's want to get scary. called out. And yeah. I think that's part of white culture to tell you uh. the truth. Oh, a yeah. lot
2: of it. I think that polite white supremacy. Mm. It 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 tells us that it's insidious. It, it's insidious, and it tells us no matter what. Make sure that the um, conversation stays civil and makes everybody yeah. feel yep. comfortable, yep. right? Yeah. Like so, um, there we're not getting anywhere like that. Right. We're we're reinforcing white supremacy like like that, and so even in yeah. your in your case, it's like you're a gay woman, mm-hmm. you're also a white gay woman, and right. so and so there's a whole other layer what, of what? Like,
1: like whiteness in the gay community mm-hmm. is like I mean. Like, it's Pride Month. Like, happy happy Pride, everybody. Um, That just, like, being a um, a white queer person, like, in the community here, like, white voices are prioritizers in the queer community. Really? And elevated. Yeah, it's not... I mean, in Seattle, there's been some effort, like, to... Um, recognize more like people of color and families and like um, people from diverse backgrounds and um, especially like elevating like trans voices in Seattle like mm-hmm. that's been that's been happening within within the gay community but queer community but it's just like I mean it's still a lot of white white folks. supremacy is white mm-hmm. supremacy right? right and it trumps it everything permeates else everything it permeates else, else. Yeah. it
2: taints everything else mm-hmm. it infects everything else yeah. so yeah. like yeah. and there's no finish line no um, hmm. to there's no finish line I'll give you an example I've been doing anti-racist work for a long time, teaching and learning, you know, on most days I would say I'm pretty good. On most days I can see a lot of things. I see a lot of what goes on. Most days I can see a lot, even within myself, stuff bubbles up and I'm like, ugly. Yeah. Right. Well, so last election, um, our local ballots came in my house. It's my husband, my son, um, my, Nephew and his wife, all people of color. My husband, son, and nephew are all black. Um, Niece is black and native. Well, none of them care about politics. Mm. Like, they just don't. Mm. They're not into it. They're not interested, right? So I thought that a good idea, because I care deeply about politics, (laughs) I thought a good idea and the logical idea when all the ballots came— I'm just going to go ahead and fill them all out, and then I'll take uh, them around the house to be signed, yeah. right? This seemed perfectly logical to me. Like, <laughs>
0: like no. what's the problem? This is
2: how it goes, right? So I happily <laughs> fill out each one uniform just like the next. I'm like, I'm <laughs> like our local guys that got five votes in our house, right? And so I walk around the house. So <clears throat> first I take it to my nephew and niece. They're 23, 24. They're watching their shows. Okay, where do you want me to sign? Okay, here you go. I take it to my husband <laughs> it didn't go so well. So <laughs> I sit down. I say here, babe, I fill out your ballad. Go ahead and sign right here. He looked at me. He said, but baby, my people for years couldn't. Uh-huh. And then he said, "Never mind. It's okay. And I felt honestly like an aunt. Yeah. I, I couldn't, yeah. ble- I was like, whoa, whoa, what have mm-hmm. I done? Like, now, did I have bad intentions? No, of mm-hmm. course not. Right. Was I doing yeah. it because of white supremacy, thinking I'm white, they're black, I'm going to vote for them? No, it was mm-hmm. my family. And But right. the problem was I didn't understand my whiteness. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't see my whiteness. I wasn't owning my whiteness. I wasn't o- owning the historical context of my culture's transgressions, and I did that. And in that moment, mm-hmm. like I caused harm to my husband, who I love so much. Mm-hmm. And I did the ugliest, ugliest thing. And it was such a learning moment where it was like, oh, I don't know anything. Like mm-hmm. back to the drawing mm-hmm. board because that – what's it all for if you're going to end up doing crap like that? You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. <clears throat> like I said, there's no finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all like dirty sponges that can clean up a mess, right? <laughs> yeah, like we can – on any given day, we can, we can clean up the mess. But our sponge is severely tainted too. So like it's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's kind of a um, balance of – being an activist, kind of having mess. a zero tolerance policy for racism in my presence. But that has to include ourselves. Like right. for yeah. me, I yeah. had to step back and say, OK, and analyze that. And of course, apologize. But in that moment, you also don't want to burden them with the over apology and make it be about right. you and make them yeah. make you feel better about what you did. So sure. A little it's, white fragility thrown little, in <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so I had to just sit with that um, that discomfort and think to myself like, hmm, Who am I? Like, who do I want to be? And and how can I get a little more humble and slow down a a bit and and see myself a bit in
0: this? Because that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you're describing, I think, is um, really captured what a lot of interracial relationships are like especially white people and whatever the interracial part is there and just that element of like reflection and when to, to not be a burden but also be honest and own the nonsense and the like perpetuation of the systemic issues and it's really complicated and it can be super messy um, can you talk a little bit more about how you come to this understanding around whiteness or what do you think are some issues that like white people we need to understand better well
2: <clears throat> so one thing is Uh, like when we own our whiteness, certain situations we can see through an entire new lens. Mm. So I was thinking about this example. I was thinking, okay, I'm a white woman. I'm sitting on a local bus, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, metro bus. I get on. The seat next to me is empty, so I set my purse there. I sit down, right? Mm. I come to the next stop. uh, Another group of passengers get on. Um, a person of color, we'll say a young black male, is heading toward me. So I lift up my purse, put it on my lap so as to signal to that person that the seat is free. Okay, so if we stop there, we say, okay, th- I'm communicating the seat is free. What does he see when I grab my purse and right. put it on my lap? Yep. Okay, now yep. this situation seems like it's cut and dry, right? Like, okay, this is nope. just a misunderstanding. <laughs> but if we back up a little yep. bit, we can mm-hmm. say, wait a minute. Why did I the white person feel entitled to spread out like that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Why did I take up that seat with my purse in the first mm-hmm. place? If I had had the seat the the purse on my lap so as to leave the seat free and if I owned my whiteness and owned the fact that that what it looks like when I grab my purse, what it can mm-hmm. be interpreted as um then I wouldn't have put my purse there to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that's that's yep. the beginning point. The beginning point is not to think I'm went, doing right. something nice by grabbing my purse, because also that changes the dynamic, right? Yeah. We as white people love nothing more than congratulations, right? So <laughs> in, in, even if it's self-congratulations, yeah. Yeah, like we yeah, are down with self, are. look yeah. at me. I just grabbed my purse, and I don't mind you black, young black male sitting next to right me. Enough. Look at me. So yeah. now I'm even going to take it a f- step further. I'm going to talk to you. So where know. are you from? So now we're now we feel entitled to this conversation yeah, yeah, with this person who may or may not spiraling. want to talk to us. But but yeah. deep within us. Yeah. this this is the this is the ugliness of white thought. This is how our thoughts you guys know you're both yeah. white. You yeah, know how our absolutely. culture is like that's this. True, is, yeah. This is stuff that I don't I think that it's something that's quite unique to white culture, yeah. like all of these little Many intricacies of our thought patterns and and the many different layers of what we've had to do over the years to distance ourselves from our atrocities. We have all these little mini techniques that that if you just own your shit from the beginning, if you if we just own our whiteness from the beginning, we know that the correct answer is to sit down, put your purse on your on your lap Smile at passengers that get on and look straight the F ahead, you know, like you don't need to go through all that other stuff. And this is the constant this plays out constantly, especially in Seattle, because there are so many well-intended offenders, so many people who are stumbling into these to these situations well-intended, but just, you know, causing damage, causing harm, causing damage, causing Mm -hmm. harm.
1: Does your do you think that that what you were just describing like the bus situation does it ever come into conflict with the um, it, like? Okay, so the example I'm thinking of is I have a friend on, who just posted on Facebook about how she was on a flight, and there are two white men on either side of her, and she's a white woman, and that they took up both armrests, and mm-hmm. she was in the middle seat, mm-hmm. and it's this idea of, like, manspreading. So, like, with it, for women, like, taking up space, for I mean, and I think specifically of, like, the 90s, like, vagina monologues, right? Like, mm-hmm. women need to take up space, right? So there's this kind of, like, um, but it's white women, because feminism is, like, <laughs> led by white women, and so, like, for the most part, and then you get, like, the third wave that's, like, there's some, like, pushback, right, but, like, which is really important, but it makes me wonder if there's, um, for white women in particular, is this there's a sort of balancing act between take up more space because feminism, oh. and then take up less space because out of like courtesy. Oh, wow, is that, I don't know. Does that that's cause... interesting?
2: I don't know. That's the first time I've I've had that thought yeah. be crossed my mind. So I don't know. I haven't developed yeah. that into. I, I would say that there's some truth to it, yeah. and I, 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 I don't think. See, that's the point. Is that I don't think it's unusual or abnormal to set your purse beside you if nobody's sitting there, right? But that's the action of moving it. That's the whole point, is if we own our whiteness, if we understand the historical context of that, if we understand our current misdeeds, if we understand ourselves and see ourselves as the culture we are, we are a culture. We are one of many. We are not the most important. We take the first, biggest, best, and most of everything, but we are not the most important. We're one of many, and when we see ourselves in reduce ourselves and see ourselves for actually the culture we are okay we had we had sixty three thousand overdose deaths last year our culture is not doing too good those were white people okay that's our yeah. culture destroying themselves destroying their families that's what our culture is about that defines right. our culture but because we have no positive cultural traditions we also have this crazy inability to even see the the defining traits of our culture now or historically. So right. we don't even see ourselves as a culture. You know, my husband, when he walks through through Fred Meyer... If he sees another man of color, they are doing the brother nod, yeah. like they are yeah. ma- meeting eyes. They're saying "What's up?" They're they're acknowledging each yeah. other as a member of their culture. There's a camaraderie there. We do not have that. No,
1: there we, is there is a gay head nod, but it's a that's wonderful. It's a hey, whole it's different. Compli- I'm down yeah. with the gay head nod, but but in general, we don't yeah.
2: have the camaraderie. No, we, don't we don't feel connected. In fact, Absolutely there's a not. deep distrust because we know on some right. level we're born as these like little innocent babies but right. but it's very soon in our families that we start seeing things that we know in our core are not right sure. and we they're toxic we, they're toxic yeah. and we develop a deep distrust whether it's the sarcasm the competitiveness the the grasping for position, everything that, that actually defines our culture that we won't own and understand. Mm-hmm. all of those things are things that make us as little kids start to not trust e- members of our culture.
0: Yeah, and I think about a lot about like what we're talking about is white entitlement, right mm-hmm. That's ingrained mm-hmm. and like raised. And part of that like you're mentioning goes back to some cultural values, right So if we look at white cultural values around independence and not relying on other people and just like all these different elements right? that distrust that's bred really early on. Absolutely, um, And so it's interesting to think about this is years of that. Right. The systemic issues and passing it on generationally and what that means in contrast to a lot of communities of color um, and internationally as well as locally. And, and those values are a bit different. Yeah. Interesting. So thinking about being from Seattle, I mean, you've mentioned a few times and we kind of have joked on the show slash not joked that um, (laughs) white people in Seattle really like things like recycling, but are uh, not really that into black lives or supporting other communities of color and just other issues that are happening. What are you seeing with that? You think that's true?
2: Yeah. So what I what I always say is that we we like to gather over block watches and not barbecues. Hmm. And so what we hmm. do here is we move into a neighborhood that we think is really edgy, you know, Columbia City, what hmm. what have you, um, the gentrifiers. And then immediately we join these apps, the Nextdoor app or the local blog. Hmm. And then pretty it's pretty soon that we've developed this little online network with other people, other people that we're comfortable with, usually mm-hmm. young white families, um, and so that we can start creating not even a physical block watch of physical bodies, but actually an online and even more closed exclusive mm-hmm. group where mm-hmm. we basically uh, have have a, a virtual system of um edging out the people who were there originally and Mm -hmm. making it be a dangerous place without ever even stepping foot on our porch. And so we can change the tone of a neighborhood just by moving into that neighborhood and doing what we do, Mm -hmm. talking how we talk, using our coded language, right? Mm -hmm. Seattle's very polite, so we don't use... impolite racist words that you might find in other p- parts of the country but our coded language we mm-hmm. understand it white people understand coded language white people understand um, words like inner city white people understand mm-hmm. words like you know, low-income housing. We Broken understand windows. those yeah. those dog, dog whistles. Right. We understand those dog yeah. whistles. So I think that in Seattle, polite white supremacy reigns supreme. And I think that yeah. it's, I love that phrase.
0: I don't know why I've not heard about heard it before. Or used there's it. There's a great much, article, a great... and
2: I will forward okay. it to you. Well, and I, I and sense. I shamefully can't cite the author right now. But it's, I think it's I, my I think husband I and I. It's one. one of our favorite uh, yeah. articles to to uh, recommend. To people. Was it
1: recent? There was a no. It was about, about oh, two years ago. I'm yeah. hoping re- we were recently talking about. There was an article that that someone that was talking about how they, why they left Seattle.
0: As oh a black yeah, that's woman. a great article. Yeah, that yeah. was recent too. I gotta find that, that. I'll one, find that we'll one for collect, my put it in the show notes for homework. Yeah, that yeah. was recent. Yeah. 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 So thinking about the work that you, I mean, you've traveled a lot in the state and then across the country. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you went from the work that you do in Seattle and activism on the front line there to more of a mm-hmm. national stage?
2: Um, so most of my national work is online. Um, I work for a, a pretty major, major locally um, founded organization that that is the sole mission is to basically um, uh, take the labor off some of the people of color that have had to do it for so long and to clean up the messes of our own culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I do most of the things that happen to me that I end up in situation wise are are just situations that I end up uh, stumbling into in my own personal life. Mm-hmm. And so I recently or two years ago, I had a situation in Oregon happen, and this isn't this isn't a situation that just happens by chance. This is more of a, a mindset of awareness where my eyes are open and I see what's happening and I'm going to speak up. And that can take on many different yep. unpredictable predictable, uh, connotations in turn. So this particular case in Oregon, I was at Nordstrom Rack and I was shopping with my daughter who's five at the time my husband and my other daughter had left the store because my little one was not doing too well so they went to take a walk and my five-year-old and I decided to stay and shop for a little while and right before we left we were standing by the front door I had texted my husband asked him and my daughter to come back and I noticed that the front door security guy was looking down the block out the door and down the block and so I thought well that's kind of odd like I've been Mm -hmm. standing here a while nobody has left the store what would he be looking at Mm -hmm. so I leaned forward and I also looked out down the block and I noticed that across the street and down the next block there were five or six young black males coming toward the store and they were so far away that that it just literally just looked like a group of kids laughing yeah. and kind of joyfully walking down the street. Sure. You couldn't tell who any of them were. You couldn't make <laughs> out anybody's face or anything like that. So I saw him. He had his, his little walkie-talkie in his shirt, and he was talking into his shirt. And so I approached him, um, which I typically wouldn't do because I had my daughter with mm-hmm. me, and I kind of have a rule that I'll do my I'll do my activism when it doesn't ever kind of risk them. But this situation seemed like a a different case. And so I approached him and I said, what are you looking at? What are you What are you talking into your shirt? Who are you telling you and what about? I said, are you racially profiling those kids coming up the street? And he got defensive and he said, mm-hmm. I don't have to tell you anything. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're right, you don't. But it looks to me like you're racially pro- profiling those kids. Yeah. I don't know what about, but I need you to yeah. go get your manager for me. He said, that's fine. I'll go get my manager. So he disappeared. And uh, the manager didn't come back. The kids entered the store. I went over to the cashier and said, hey, I'm waiting for a manager. She hasn't come back because by this time I knew that those kids were in the store. The store mm-hmm. security guy had disappeared. Uh-huh. I knew that he had already been calling something, someone about yeah. it. And so finally the manager came up and said, what's going on? What's, you know, what's the issue? And I told her what I had seen. I said, look, I'm really I'm really fearful about those kids' safety. I really don't feel like they're safe here. I feel like your security guy was racially profiling them. They're now in the store. And so— she said, "Oh no, 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 no. We don't. We don't. We have policies against that. We don't racially profile here. I can assure you of that." And I said, mm-hmm. "You know, I." And and she said, "I can't tell you the specifics of those ca- of the case, but those kids are uh, are trespassed from here." Huh. I said. Wait wait a minute. No, you let them in. They're in the store. Like yeah. They're in the store. They're not yeah. trespassed from the store. They're in the yeah. store. They're currently here. First of here. all, they're currently here. <laughs> yeah. Second of all, there's no way that that security guard could have even known who any of those kids right. were. Like They yeah. were so far Unless away he when they ha- were Unless he has eyesight like a freaking hawk. He didn't, have, man, right. no. he didn't yeah. have binoculars. There was no way for him to know. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I talked to the manager for a few minutes. I, I say, I'm really concerned about this. I don't feel like it's a safe situation for the kids. She... she reassures me no they're fine just then my husband and my other daughter get back to the store so i you know i've got my two little kids they're kind of both tired hungry grumpy the manager saying no you're fine everything's fine and i didn't really feel okay about it but i said okay and you know so we started to walk out the door and right when i walked out the door we took one step down the the curve into the uh crosswalk and three cop cars pull up and i knew instantly instantly what had happened and and so i just told my husband take the girls and um and keep walking and he knows he knows what Mm -hmm. you know by that time he's he's known me long enough and seen me speak up enough that he knows that that probably i i i understand the situation to be deeper than he may be just seeing on the surface right then so he and Also, he's a black man in America, so he pretty much knows what that means anyway. So he walks away with my daughters, and I go back in the store just as the police are coming back in the store. Two of the boys are in line to buy something. The rest of the boys are coming down the escalator, and I walk in, walk past the cops just as the cops are pointing to the two Mm -hmm. in line saying, Come on, you guys need to come outside. And so uh, in that moment— I just had to speak up and and tell the boys quickly what I had seen. Tell them I saw everything and I'm going to stay with you. Tell the cops no. Like I saw these boys from down the block. The security was on the on his walkie talkie when he couldn't even see who they were. They've done nothing wrong. They're in line to buy something. You're not going to harass them. And I just had to kind of stay with them all the way out. So the cops made us all go outside. The manager went outside. I went outside and the boys went outside and, um, there were six of them at that point. But, uh, you know, I had to just be very loud and very vocal so that mm-hmm. a bystanders, people walking by could hear and see what was going on, mm-hmm. because that was important in the moment to get to use my voice and kind of leverage yeah. that that privilege in the moment mm-hmm. um, to the situation so that people could hear the story um Before the manager or the police got got to tell their story, exactly, exactly, and so, uh, when um, in the end the manager, um, she lied and and said that she didn't even know who called the cops, and of course, and then she then she apologized to me. And that was awful. I was like, why are you apologizing why, to me? Yeah. She was trying to get me to come back in the store to apologize to me. I said, no, you need to apologize to yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. She gave them a half-ass apology. And then the whole thing kind of dissipated. And then the boys and I walked down the block and sat down. And I asked them if they would come down the block with me and sit at a mm-hmm. smoothie shop so that we could, like, kind of debrief. Because the cops had gotten back in their cars, but they were just circling the block. Mm-hmm. Like, the boys yeah. were not safe. Yeah, they no were—the the cops had been, you know— demoted in the moment and had a grudge now Um, so still wasn't good we walked down to the smoothie shop and by then they had two other friends who had joined them so there were eight of them so we were trying to like debrief kind of talk about everything yeah. and they kind of told me um, how bad the Portland police are yeah. how badly they're mistreated how I've heard that about Portland and I yeah it's um especially yeah. the downtown police right. apparently uh, white comfort is very protected uh, down there yeah. and they just preliminarily uh trespass all of the black youth down there so they can't go in any of the stores mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. So the, uh, yeah it's a thing uh, yeah. who you know I didn't even know it's like, there's like, I know about like the investigation with that So we Our drove port- we drove the boys home. All eight of them hopped in our car. Um, One of them even sat on my lap in the front seat. We drove them all the way home, (laughs) all the way across the bridge, took them back to their neighborhood, and we've kept in touch with them. And they did call they they got in touch with their teacher they have a great teacher down mm -hmm. in portland at roosevelt high school i think a couple of them have graduated by now they're not not that school but they had a great uh teacher and advisor who helped them actually put together a a public safety video or Mm a public uh service announcement video about racially profiling and the danger of it and then also i think they did get in touch with um um some legal counsel and I don't know mm. where it ever went mm-hmm. after yeah. that but
1: you know it's interesting I was when you were telling that story it reminded me of um this happened in federal way at Denny's and there mm-hmm. this has been a problem with Denny's in mm-hmm. uh, I mean all over the country but asking young black men or black youth to pay for their meals mm-hmm. before yeah. before they Get their food um, mm-hmm. and as like a company policy. And um, there have been a few store and it's happened in multiple Denny's. And then managers have said, well, that's just a policy, you know, of our store. But it seems to be a corporate policy. So like these kind of like they're kind of racial profiling. Mm. They don't do that to white customers. They don't well, do that to not other only young that, people. They're
2: completely, completely contradictory to data and evidence. Yes. Right. Data and <laughs> right. evidence says yeah. that the 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 for for the past ten years, guess who steals the most like the number one um demographic of person who steals is me yeah. like a forty two year old white woman yeah. I'm yeah. you know, and so I yeah. said that to the corporate yeah. office at Nordstrom when I called him sure. I said. Why am I not being followed around the yeah, store? You Why, you know, yeah. I you be all should be followed You know, and so <laughs> people, people who you tell that to, people will say, "Well, no, here I'm gonna, I'll show you on the FBI website. It says right here who, who, who the most charges." Yes, of course. Guess who gets caught stealing? Guess right. who they're looking at? to catch for stealing right. guess who they're prosecuting for stealing right. so data is not always reflective of yeah. you know when you're looking at arrest records when you're looking at these kind of things yeah. these are not reflective of the of the truth but when you when you look at the scientific polls that get taken and stuff yeah. it's white women that are stealing yeah. well it's
0: so, like which data point are you looking at and right. which one um is the most like what part of the story are we looking at right sure because i even think about that with people who have um stereotypes around immigration and who oversees visa it's White immigrants. <laughs> like but right. they quote unquote blend in or are less Canadian immigrants. part of that suspicion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a huge issue around Irish immigrants, yeah. Canadian immigrants. I mean, there's like a lot of different yeah. Russian
2: immigrants right. that are coming over and having exactly. babies over here. Right. And mm-hmm. generally like yeah. it's
0: whiter and just more quote unquote normalized in the mm-hmm. way that we talk yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's inter- so talking about the Denny's thing and Nordstrom. I mean, Nordstrom's had a number of issues coming up recently. Mm-hmm. There's been issues in Seattle where that's happened. Discrimination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was There's a case I'm um, we'll link to in Missouri yeah. where Nordstrom I had think- to apologize to three black dudes because they accused them of stealing and they yeah. weren't stealing. I think
1: I've actually told this story on the show before, but I had a friend in high school who was followed. We were my my friend and I in my graduating class, there were two black students. I grew up in a pretty white area and my friend who was black we were in nordstrom rack in auburn and she was we were followed around the store and she would they asked the manager asked her to step into a back room she we were like 16 and she said no you can wait and wow. I, I didn't know what to do. Like at the time I was a dumbass kid. I was like, Yeah, I will I'll wait here. Um and so it was like an hour. Um and so they were trying to say that she had stolen something and she emptied her bag on the table. She hadn't that's, taken uh, anything and she was humiliated, she was sobbing mm-hmm. when she came out and I you know, because I was stupid, and I was just like, Well, I don't know what to do. Like I was like, I'm gonna get us picked up, well, like it'll be okay, but I like it wasn't it wasn't okay. Like there's nothing there's no way to make it okay. Well, this is quality and of those, in a Nordstrom wreck. <laughs> That
2: that is affecting quality of life. That's quality yeah. of right, life yeah. issues. And when you look at My son and my nephew were in high school. They were 16 years old, and I used to give them money to go grocery shopping. And after nine months of them shopping at the same store, same time, every week, customers, regular customers— on this night, on a Wednesday night, they were approached by store security and the manager and told that they have to leave. And they were confused. They had their baskets full. They were about to check out like they had every week for the past nine months. Yep. They didn't know what had happened. Apparently, the cashier from the week before had checked their receipt after they had already left and discovered that, they, that there was no what she called Tampico orange drink on their receipt. Well, no, there wasn't because it was QFC orange juice. That's what they had bought, yeah. right? But she had decided that they had stolen the jug yeah, of gosh. orange drink. And so she had waited until—so so here's the irony. Yeah. She knew they were going to be in the next week. So she knew them she to be waiting. regular customers. Well, and that's yeah. intentional,
0: right? That's diabolical. Absolutely.
2: absolutely. And so, mm. so my boys were in that moment like— <clears throat> These are sixteen year old yep. young black males trying yeah. to do right. They've got a debit card, they've got grocery money loaded onto it. They're trying to enter the world of adulthood. The they're trying to enter the world of responsibility. They're trying to learn what it means to be a good neighbor, a good right. citizen, but they get locked out of right. it. Yeah, they right. get they get the door gets slammed in front of their face. So it's it's these, these issues are not only injustice, they're affecting quality of life, yeah. they're, they're affecting health of yeah, people. These, yeah. this, where can that go besides rage or depression? Mm-hmm. When yeah. you're that young black male, like my nephew, like my son, um, where does that injustice go besides rage or depression if you have no outlet to make a change? Mm-hmm. If you don't have the personal power to make a change because you are the victim in the system, what can you possibly mm-hmm. do except turn yeah. it inside? It's awful. It's really awful. Mm -hmm. And, and seeing, seeing, um, just seeing, especially my nephew, because he has dark skin, um, or my husband for that matter, walk into a store and not be greeted Mm -hmm. or be looked at suspiciously or just not be treated like a valued customer, like Mm -hmm. a valued, you know, somebody who's spending money in your store. The, the, the experience of their life is so, so greatly impacted by racism. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's amazing how we talk about the big instances of injustice, and, of course, those are those are uh, raging fires that we have to talk about. But the little things that chip away at the quality yep. of life yep. are, um, to me, it, uh, just as their family member, it, it, that's what breaks my heart and, yeah. and makes me just— um, rageful
0: Mm -hmm. racism is like literally killing people and absolutely i was just thinking about there's an online forum tacoma roots i'm part of and recently there's been some posts around around that particular issue um racism Mm -hmm. as killing people and as uh like with the health impact specifically right not not only um with not like just explicit physical violence but
1: with like the long-term health effects of we'll um we'll link to some of that stuff because i
0: think it's important for listeners to read we have to take a quick break and then um, we'll come back okay Let's see who our sponsor is today. It's Channel 253. That's odd. (laughs) Aren't we part of Channel 253? We're advertising on our own network? Yes, Annie, we are. Like Nerd Farmer, Move to Tacoma, Citizen Tacoma, and all the other shows. I mean, the reason we're taking a moment of your time is to tell you that Channel 253 has started a membership program. So listeners can be card-carrying members of Channel 253? I don't know what card carrying, I mean, that's doing the most, but they can join (laughs) and support this podcast and all of our other shows.
1: Why are we asking people to join? I thought we were all rolling around in that sweet, sweet podcast advertising money. Well, that
0: sweet, sweet podcast advertising revenue doesn't pay all of our bills. And for some of what we do, you know, like the free adult civics happy hour events, it doesn't cover any of it. So by asking our community to support through membership, we can cover more costs. Do members get anything for joining? Because I feel like, maybe like a discount would be sweet. Like, is there... Let's heck yeah, heck yeah. There's okay, a definitely a okay. discount in the Channel 253 online store. Oh, and cool. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love my IWL mug. Um, Yes. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. It's an oversized mug, too. It's like It's giant. You could eat soup out of it. I fit like definitely a couple of, oh, yeah. K-pods. K and we talked about oh, yeah. K-pods before, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So anyway, members will get that discount and they'll also get a regular-ish email from our other podcasts about our events and other interesting things going on. Plus... Of course, most importantly, intrinsic motivation, the satisfaction of knowing that you are helping our network. That's super cool. I love it. So where can we sign up? Channel253.com slash membership. You can sign up to support what we're doing at Channel 253 and, well, I'm just kidding. There's no more and. Joking aside, it means a lot for all of us if you sponsor and join us as a member, and we really appreciate your support. Next time, everybody. See you later. Bye. Bye. And we're back. Eight. So
1: Danielle. You know, I was wondering if you, you could know speak. What? You do when after we you say and we're back. You always
0: laugh. Like, I do think it's I think really it's so funny. ridiculous. You're like, and we're back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like the count from yeah. Sesame Street. But yeah. I'm not. <laughs> um So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to like when um how do you know when to step in, when not to? I hear a lot of white folks and in the conversations I'm having with white people, especially white women, um, talking about Oh well, I don't want to come across in this particular way. What about my own safety? I don't want to like. There's everything from like I'm worried about my own personal physical safety to like I don't want to be the white savior to also just being like I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. Um, how do you mm-hmm. figure out what to do? What are some advice tips um, you have for that?
2: Well, so it kind of just depends on the um, situation. Mm-hmm. I think of it. I think of white supremacy as kind of like this house that I need to tear down. So yeah. when you're in like the demolition phase, right? You just take the hammer and you just tear shit up like that's what you do right (laughs) so to me if i'm just dealing with a white person one-on-one and this is a white person that that i'm not at all going to have any chance of Mm. of breaking through to i'm the hammer with the demolition i don't care like you're not going to do damage so it uh this change the dynamic changes though when they're When there is a like a person of color involved in the Mm -hmm. situation, because what you don't want to do is, of course, never make it more dangerous for them. Right. You can bring danger like what what is safe for us is not safe for everybody because of us, because of our culture. Mm -hmm. So if it's just one on one, like uh, I try to I say I have a zero tolerance policy for racism in my presence. Um, So if I witness racism, I'm going to speak up. There's I make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Everybody makes mm-hmm. mistakes. But the pro- what we're trying to do is interrupt and disrupt right. white supremacy. Right. We're trying to tear down a system yep. that is, that is killing people and, um, just ruining the world. So. In that case. But but then there are finer times and littler times that that I think more of it as like putting up fine mosaic tiles in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. you know, where you have to do a lot more tender, gentle work. And, you know, when you're dealing with (coughs) youth or when my kids are around, when my Mm -hmm. kids, my little kids are with me and I'm having to confront a situation that I can't walk away from in those moments, I have to realize I've got you know, little people who I have to keep safe at the same time that I'm confronting this. For me, it happens a lot in um, social situations like uh, grocery stores, Mm. parks, local parks. There's just different things like that. Um, Because my kids are mixed race, I, I deal a lot personally with the Oh my gosh, look at your girl's hair. You guys have the best hair in the grocery
0: store, you know, Ugh. people approaching my children. So we have a shame bell, we haven't rang it yet this episode. Okay. I'm just gonna do that. Okay. So basically thank it's like you. whenever you feel like it's a tragic <laughs> thank situation. You. Thank terrible. you, or the lady or the
2: lady in Trader Joe's yeah. feel free to who- grab it by the way. Yeah, you can, thank you. Yeah. The lady in Trader Joe's who came up and asked me, Did you adopt them? Oh Yeah. Oh, when my bad. kids were old enough to know what it meant. So oh. not good. Shame lady. Yes, yes, that's exactly. awful. Um um, so, you know, I deal with it. I deal with a lot of uh, intracultural mm. uh, conversations and confrontations mm. when it comes to racism. But then I also deal with a lot of like advocate on behalf of my family yeah. type stuff. Yeah. So... um yeah it's a big, broad range of
0: things, yeah. but I, I'm hearing you say though, like you still have to do something. They have to do something right. Like cause even in the cases where you're doing something smaller or you're like looking out for your kids mm-hmm. first because that's your, their priority. Mm-hmm. um you still just don't sit back and not do anything. I
2: hate the feeling of walking away with my head down and thinking, why did I let them say that? Why didn't I do something? So yeah. Yeah. so it's to avoid that feeling yeah. because, uh, and this has been probably 10 years ago that I decided for myself, mm. I will speak up. Yeah. It may not be, I might walk away cringing at what I said. Like yeah. I might walk away being like, oh, that was stupid and clumsy, <laughs> but I will have said something yeah. because I can't mm. just let those kind of things happen and walk away with the shame of knowing that I, my silence just reinforced that, that action or that person or, um, and there's so much when you open your Mm -hmm. eyes, there's so much, there's so many opportunities, uh, there's there's just no way to avoid it. It's it's incessant. White right? supremacy is everywhere. Racism yeah. is everywhere. You and open so one door and there's 60,000. If you, 60, if you other have your doors. eyes yeah. open, just even as you're going throughout your daily life, whether yeah. you're recognizing microaggressions for the first time mm-hmm. and seeing white culture and the things that we just do, just chip away. My husband calls it a thousand paper cuts, like
1: yeah, the,
2: those yeah, little things, or it's actually the big things that you're fighting and you're speaking up. Like I for sure call. Call, call, call. I take it upon myself. I don't wait for some social movement to yeah. tell me, hey, guys, we're all calling this congressman. Yeah. Just, if I see that <laughs> yeah. a principal kicked a little girl out of school yep. because her hair was not kept, I call that principal. Good you job. can call these yep. principals. They don't even have PR people. You no, can call their yeah. direct line. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Like, I harass the shit out of people. Yep. I call. I email. write letters. Yep. I write emails. Yep. I just make it known that, hey, I see you. I see your racism. I yep. see what you're doing. Yep. I'm all. And I love my favorite thing to do is say, hey, I'm all the way in Seattle. Because yeah. I love to make people, especially uh, yeah, all over the country. I love when I uh, can make people feel like eyes are on them all across yeah. the country. There's something, you know, yeah. when it's, it's really local, powerful. it's one yeah. thing, but when you're when you're um, kind of like making it known that hey, we're seeing what you're doing all the way in Seattle or yeah. all the way in Texas or all the way in wherever you're from. Yeah. I think that using who you are, say your name, and yep. say where you're from. You don't even need to say your your title or you know what you do in life in the world say your name and say where you're from and say i see you i see what you're doing it's wrong um you need to turn it around. And that can go so far. Just one voice, one person mm-hmm. writing a letter, calling. Mm. Don't be scared. Who mm-hmm. cares? Yep. You don't care. This is a person yep. who just did something you don't even respect. So what do you care? Yes. Yes. You know? yeah. yes. You're not right. losing right. anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yep. And, not, I can, and it gets You're easier. not losing face with a total stranger. Also, it gets easier and easier and easier and easier. <laughs> yeah. And it it, it gets easier to, to not... Uh, get it gets easier to fight dispassionately not that you don't have passion for it but to mm. fight dispassionately mm. so that like it becomes routine so that, well it it just yeah. becomes routine it's what you do yeah. like you're you're going to that day you're going to go grocery shopping you're going to you know d- Mop your kitchen floor, and yeah. you're going to fight racism if you yeah. see it. That's that's yes. what you do. Yeah. Like yeah. that's just yes. who you are. Yeah. You're right. going to do yeah. that. And you know? I
1: feel like it's almost like that. There's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a detachment there that you need to have in order to make it routine, right? Like well, to make you it a start habit. to see
2: the same things over and over, right? Yeah. So like the thing about yeah. it is, is I call them racism alibis, right? Yeah. So you accuse someone of racism, they say, "Oh no, I'm not racist because," and then they name their racism alibi. So they say, "I have black friends."
0: Yeah, right. My sister in law is this race. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, I have this. I read a that, book once by a black person. <laughs> uh, they, yeah. they have all kinds of races yeah. and but yeah. turns out but, we're not that creative. And they're very they're those those alibis are really thin they're super so flimsy so you yeah. see them so often that right. it's no longer it no longer throws you, it, it doesn't throw you for a loop anymore right. it's very That's it's good. pretty easy to to yeah. get through that and say okay yes but we know that you can actually choose relationships because of your stereotypes and because right. of your racism right. so yeah. now let's get back to the conversation at hand and what you did or what you said right you know,
1: yeah. and how it and, also this is kind of unrelated but how would your how would your if you actually really do have a black friend and you're not making them up, how would they feel about how shitty you're being <laughs> right
2: now? Right. <laughs> and you know, if if you have a relationship with the person on any level, people do want to people don't want to uh Lose that relationship, and so as white right. people, I know it's uncomfortable. I know that we we love nothing more than just a lo- a nice, comfy, cozy yes, life where we can, yep. you know, coffee in the morning, wine in the evening, and good good <laughs> yeah. friends and laughter. I know, I know, we have all this the piece of driftwood, Pinterest <laughs> tropes, <laughs> right. we love Pinterest. I get <laughs> Live, it. Laugh, I, I know love. all this stuff. But the truth is, is that yeah. you have to risk your relationships. You yeah. have to make the people um, who you're trying to move. Um, understand that at very least they're losing your kind of, they're losing your approval right now. Yeah. And and I've moved a lot of people, my friends, my family, just by kind of, kind of withdrawing that approval and saying, hey, you really should look at what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're thinking, because it's really not in alignment with who I think you want to be. Yes, right. yes. Not yep. who you are. Yep. It is who you are, make no mistake. Right. But it's not who <laughs> <Yeah>. you want <laughs> to be, you right. know, and just like, When I opened my husband and my and my family's mail and filled out their ballots, that's (laughs) who I am.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
2: that was whiteness. That was who I am. But But that's not who I want to be. Right. right. You know,
0: well, you're you're bringing up this point about like the skin in the game. And so Mm -hmm. Nate just wrote a piece around that idea, like white people we need to realize that we have skin in the game, like racism affects us, too. And all these injustices are poisonous to us as well. And we have to be willing to risk. Um, ourselves, our reputation, our whatever thing we've made up in our head about comfort and and privilege Mm -hmm. and not, you know, worrying, whatever it is, right, that we've told ourselves and and step out there and do something. And
2: I do wonder, I haven't seen any studies on it, nor have I read any scholars write about I I wish that somebody way smarter than me would because, you know, I don't have a very deep developed thought, but I do have a theory that that a lot of racism is rooted in like kind of like the white hunger for community and our jealousy of all the other cultures. We see all of the Mm. other cultures gathering. We don't even understand it. I can remember a time, you know, I grew up in Wyoming. I grew up in Casper, Wyoming. I didn't see a black person in person until I was 14. And I moved to Seattle. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of years of literal, no exposure to other cultures. And then I moved up here and, um, I can remember seeing big gatherings um whether it was like Pacific Islander or black families at the park gathering mm-hmm. and laughing and barbecuing and enjoying mm-hmm. each other's co- company and I can honestly say I didn't even know what I was looking at. Yeah. Not that I didn't know I was looking at people or I didn't know I couldn't name the activity they they were doing. I couldn't wrap my head around the the this community, this idea, this sense of community, mm-hmm. you know, and I wonder how much of white culture what we really need is like we need community we mm-hmm. need to we need to um start to create some camaraderie and some positive cultural traditions mm-hmm. so that we're not just trying to tear down everybody else's yeah. uh joy I and wonder, like, I we hate it, black joy i don't yeah. know why it is but like mm. all of these incidences these anti-black incidences that we keep seeing happening yeah if you look at like of course the the common theme throughout all of them is racism but it's also like this this just how much white people hate black joy mm, and yeah. what I can only surmise that it's jealousy. I can't figure out why it is that, you know, you ladies, feel ladies happy, laughing right? on a Napa uh, uh, book club wine tour, ladies laughing yeah, and yeah. enjoying wine. Why would that? That why would that offend the yeah. the other yeah. pr- people yeah. on sure. that the white people on that yeah. train? The yeah. only reason it would offend you is if they were doing something you didn't understand and you didn't have. Yes, right. it's, it's joy. The same
0: thing with like the, all the white people that showed up at um, the showings of Black Panther, right? And we're like making up right. nonsense around right. um, like getting beat up or just like why are people so happy about this movie? You know, right. like it's not right. real. <laughs> Wakanda is not a real place, and right. it's like uh, why are you? Right. Kind of why do so really you like, hate stop? it so just much? Stop. Yeah. yeah, right. But it but, but it, to, it goes deep. It's not. Just pettiness. Yeah. They're not just being yeah. petty. Yeah.
1: It's like a deep seated yeah. envy. And you know what's weird about when white people do have these kind of like gatherings? It's like um, it's there's we're so clumsy about it. Like there's sort of like the um, okay, like white supremacists for example, like are extremely clumsy about like okay, let's get together and like pride in whiteness but it, it, it goes in this other direction that's just like wait whoa that's not like that's <laughs> that's no. not what it looks like no. right or and like we, yeah we yeah. could never
2: we could never draw any sort of comparison between like right. a clan rally and a absolutely black family not. barbecue not this is, absolutely like, not this and that's is what I'm not saying not like, to, like, white, people, white
1: people are so like <laughs> yeah. so shitty at having communities that like when they do it it's like no you're fucking doing it wrong like so, oh, well, my, sorry oh really, sorry like can you bleep that out Doug my bad we gather over block watches so we get
2: together and what do we do so all the neighbors yeah. get together and yeah. we talk about the other neighbor who's not there right. who we suspect his son might be a thief, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like the neighborhood watch. We're not laughing. And you know,
1: the neighborhood watches are the forerunners and slave patrols are the forerunners of modern yeah. police departments. Uh-huh. So um, We're not that laughing. Too.
2: We're not turning on no. music. We're not
1: enjoying company. And I actually have a personal story because when I fir- yeah. first
2: met my husband, my husband's mom and I, this might be a little too personal, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> my husband's mom and I, uh, when we first met, you know, she really did not take too kindly to me and she had these mm. these complaints about about me that were like you ask too many questions you just you show <laughs> yeah. up to to the family gatherings and you sit there and you just you know you stick to yourself or you have a conversation with one person like a cultural just, anthropologist right. Okay, so, so at the time I was like yeah. what kind of person doesn't like I'm just trying to get to know people like what's the problem right, right. I didn't understand my whiteness I didn't understand that she yeah. didn't appreciate the interviews that I was conducting around the room you know but yeah. as white people you know Debbie Irving in her book Waking mm. Up White talks about Boxes mm. and ladders. Mm. That's what white people do, right? We right. we meet you and we wanna be able to either put you in a box yep. yeah. and, and yep. understand you or we wanna climb above you. So we we have ladders. Mm. That's what we do. We do it like yeah. we subconsciously, we don't even realize we're doing it. But that's yeah. what I was doing at those family gatherings. And it literally took six years for me to understand. Now keep in mind this is this is white girl who thinks she understands, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. It took me six years to 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 learn even more, learn even more to right. understand that Oh, of course, of course that like that's awful of me. Why am I coming into their cultural gathering (laughs) and acting so white and like, like, why am I behaving that way? Like the the social standard there is you go, you enjoy the good food, you enjoy the good music, you you bond with people on a on a on a community level, but you don't ask people like how their job's going and then personal. Like you don't do these emotional (laughs) drive-bys on people. It's not nice. Like you don't ambush people with, Mm -hmm. with your whiteness. You don't do that. Right.
0: Well, as you're you're talking to, I keep thinking about this going back to like uh, English speaking. Right. So like uh, rooted in colonialism to me and rooted in like the Anglo specifically. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think about this as a a American problem in particular. Like I think not uniquely American, but I, I was thinking about other like, white cultures that are not English speaking and how there are these spaces where you have community and it just looks a bit different but it also is like parallel we just kind of forgotten that in the United States or we it's not part it's not ingrained it's like not was brought over I I guess when we took over things instead it was a colonialism the white supremacy well I feel like I feel like this this experience I had in Germany where there's a really around ate sausages and chit-chatting yeah
1: I feel (laughs) like like they have that a very um salient example of that is when the people of Plymouth was the people of Plymouth who like settled and then, like, tried to do everything for themselves and all died. Yeah. And it's like, that is a salient that <laughs> example there, of, like, yeah. of yeah. whiteness in America. Yeah. Is it like they just were, like... No, we can do this, and then just all died of starvation.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, I really wanted to ask you this question about. Um, I know you had a, a situation where you were able to speak with Oprah, who is like you I know, don't the next Oprah. president. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> people who want her, online. like, that's not her lane. She's doing her other thing. And like, staying uh, why there. would she want to be president? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, mean, she's, I don't think qualified, she wants to drink actually. fine tequila. Yeah. Yes, you don't right. think you don't think she's qualified? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reality God. TV. Uh, so, what do you? Can you talk a little about that experience and how that's like that's very? I think. Um, Indicative of where we're at right now like in our how, conversations about race. How did you meet Oprah?
2: Okay, so like. my mom is a habitual contest winner, okay? <laughs> she wins. Wow. I don't know how she does it. She wins contests She's really all the lucky. time. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. the load of contests happened last summer when she called me and said... What are you doing from this date to this date? We're going on a cruise with Oprah. I said, What are you talking about? She said, I won a cruise with Oprah. <laughs> what? And I, so we're yeah. going to Alaska and we're going with Oprah. I said, what? Wow. Okay, but yeah. So it turns out, yes, she wrote an essay. Her essay was chosen as one of three contest winners. <laughs> and she won us. A, Good essay. She won us a cruise to Alaska on Holland America with Oprah. Wow. And so we did get to go on that's the cruise. So it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. It was so- amazing. And we actually ended up getting to sit down to a five-course meal with Oprah. And uh, I got to sit at a table with Oprah and probably— I don't know, eight other people, the CEO of Holland America was there, Her, the Oprah author uh, was there, and myself, my mom, and the three other contest winners and their spouses, or two other contest winners and their spouses. And so we got to sit and talk to Oprah and, and drink fine tequila and eat a delicious dinner, and it was amazing. I, I got to wow. sit within... That's, oh, like a, two, that's like a list, like,
0: like yeah, someone so with Oprah like in real life. Um,
1: so <laughs> does she actually glow like she does on the front of her She's, she's
2: <laughs> Oprah is a a master orator, like mm-hmm. she's a yeah. master at what she does. She's a master of moving the conversation along. She's a master at like affirming mm-hmm. you with eye contact, mm-hmm. and um, she's she's very funny. She's mm-hmm. way funnier than I knew she was. Yeah. Like. You know, like, she's really funny in person. (laughs) Um, She's taller than I knew she was in Mm -hmm. person. Um, uh, And she's really warm. um, uh, Really, really, uh, really uh, a remarkably um, captivating person. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, She did not appreciate what I had to say. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because, I mean, you're having this like warm moment. Uh-huh. Everyone's connecting. Uh-huh. She knows she's famous. She knows that she's, you know, like is is this is the business at the table. Yeah. So how course. did you end up upsetting her?
2: <laughs> yeah. So earlier in the day, I had seen her. her she had given a speech or like a, a presentation on the cruise ship. And during it, she had she had mentioned something about how she how at the end of the day, We're all the same, right? We all want the same thing. We all want um, respect, love, blah, blah, blah. And so I had been thinking about that all day. It just didn't sit right with Mm. me because I thought to myself, there's a huge Mm. disconnect here. And so at dinner, she was talking about her upcoming projects. And she had this project through uh, 60 Minutes, I think Mm. it was, that Mm. she was going to be going to the Midwest and sitting down with who she said (laughs) were both sides. She was going to sit down with both sides. And so— Someone asked for clarifications, and she said, you know, the Trump people, the Hillary people. Mm. And she said, because, and she reiterated that at the end of the day, we all just want love and respect. And in that moment, I was highly conflicted because, well, first of all, I would had a couple glasses of wine. Um, and, and also it's so, so, yeah. It, well, yeah, but there's some, there's some surprisingly kind of like... I was not starstruck. Yeah. Good. Two years ago I would have been starstruck, okay. but right now I feel yeah. like I'm so overwhelmed by like the things in politics and because right. so many of our celebrities have your become. Your senses are more
1: acute. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But also so, so many of our se- uh, celebrities <coughs> have become so accessible, like on Twitter and everything. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like the levels have kind of meshed a little bit more. Yeah. So, it wasn't really a starstruck thing, but my conflict came in because what she was saying, her message of of we all just want the same thing at the end of the day, to my family, to my sons, to my husband, to my daughters eventually, is so dangerous. Mm-hmm. It it really it it gives it gives reinforcement to white people who really believe that, like that they're not the problem. Right. Or it 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 creates this idea that the evil that we're seeing done, the the aggression, the evil, uh, police brutality, mm-hmm. you know, we have white supremacists as police officers. We're she's making it sound like all these people are, are behaving badly just because they're not getting enough love or they're not right. you know and yeah. that all we if we all get this this adequate amount of love and respect that we would all behave in It'll this cure in the... this
1: yeah. Social and, ills. yeah.
2: And so I had to I, I had to speak up because I feel like, um, hey, you get one shot, like you have yeah. one shot. And I feel like I need to I need to interrupt this idea that this is true. Hmm. And I told her, I said, you know what, you're what you're saying. It's just not true. Like there are members of my hmm. culture that don't want love or respect they want power like they want power this is 400 years old they don't don't literally a white ethnostate. they're not (laughs) lacking love and respect like they want power they want like something different you know for authority right and um and you know i i said i i i understand why you see things the way you do because you're Mm. so good we see the world as we are Mm -hmm. not as it is and so you're so good that you're seeing the world as you are and i appreciate that i appreciate that like like that ideal but it's just not the truth right. and you know there had been an issue earlier on the boat a couple days earlier where the author was speaking and it was all being videotaped and stuff and there was a white man that was two feet from the recording had his feet up on the table socks off and and and, and, and feet up on the table socks off had his magazine and his coffee and and showed no respect to what was happening just behind his chair where there was a a nationally acclaimed author you know all kinds of things yeah. like it, it was a it was a pretty big deal but he felt so entitled mm. and so big in that world that he could behave as though he was in his Man living spreading. room at home yeah right yep. right and um but also white spreading you know yeah. just like the way he was acting yeah and so i i just said to oprah you know i said until lorenzo who was the husband of one of the um of one of the contest winners who is mm-hmm. sitting to Oprah's left, I said, "Until Lorenzo could feel comfortable mm-hmm. like that in that environment, um, our world is not just comprised of people who all want the same thing. You right. know, there's there's some some deeply rooted yep. problems here yep. that that actually come down to the core of who we are. As in my case." white culture like right. who we are as a culture I'm telling you my culture has some evils this is not just lack of love right, yeah. and so it was very hard for me because it it, it totally goes against my kind of like um, my belief that I, I would never she's a black woman mm-hmm. I would never a I, who am I that's Oprah I'm right. not anybody yep. you know yep. <laughs> also like also as a white woman um, I would never like try and upstage or try and talk over you know correct in an authoritative way, the way I did. And I had regrets. I still have regrets. I still kind of cringe. But at the same time, I was like, no, you know, I think that everything that's happened since that cruise, that was last July. I still Mm. think to myself, examples come up all the time that just reinforce my belief of what I said to her. And I wonder sometimes, I mean, she's, uh, you know, again, who am I? I'm no one. She's Mm. Oprah. (laughs) <laughs> but I do wonder if she ever thinks she about, think beca- about it. because that yeah. was her first trip to Alaska and it was a cruise and, and that was a very intimate little dinner. I ever I wonder if she ever thinks when she sees mm-hmm. some of the things, some of the headlines in the news and some of the atrocities that are being yeah. committed yeah. by white men in our culture and white women, Betsy yep. DeVos, Um yeah.
1: <clears throat> We know, we know Betsy DeVos. Oh, yes, sure. you guys do. Uh,
2: but I do wonder if she ever thinks to herself, eh, yeah, maybe there's yeah. more to this than just the need for love and respect, you know? So right. yeah. anyways, after that, she uh, they dropped our our entree right after that conversation. We had delicious, like, uh, crab-stuffed halibut. It was delicious. And then she bought everybody two rounds of high-end tequila. And that was like <laughs> Thanks, the, Oprah. Uh, yeah, thanks, Oprah. Um, and, you know, the night went on and... Um, so that's how the night ended. I felt yeah. bad to my mom because I felt like I, I took up a little airtime that she might mm-hmm. might have liked to listen or talk or whatever. And um, it was just a little bit uh, – uh, just one of those moments that you, you kind of make a judgment call and speak yeah. up or not and yeah. then – process it. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, and
0: I really wanted you to share that because I want our listeners just to think about what you said and like whether that they feel like that exists and kind of just wrestling with those ideas, um, especially in our activism work. Um, so we actually need to wrap up. Okay. Um, this has been an amazing conversation. Time flies. Really it's been like- uh, Can we do our homework segment? Absolutely. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White right, ladies. So in this segment, uh, we put out recommendations, action items, things people should read. Uh, mm. Danielle, do you have something that you think our listeners I should do love- and read?
2: Michael Bennett's new book, mm-hmm. stuff yeah. that makes white people uncomfortable, or things that make white people stuff. We'll link to things. It. Things I think yes. that make white people uncomfortable. He's actually going to be in Seattle, June eighteenth. No oh, cool. Um, and so, if you, it's a good time to pick up that book. The book is. It does talk about uh, social justice it also has a tremendous amount of tender stories about him and his brother. He ta- it's it's it has very stories full of grace and forgiveness. It's just mm. such a well-rounded, wonderful, wonderful book. And it's mm. a short, quick, good read, so
1: nice. That's Mm -hmm. what I recommend right now. Great. Sounds great. So the article we were talking about earlier, I found it. It's called Seattle's Inability to Address Its Whiteness Problem Made Me Say Goodbye for Good by Sonia Mm -hmm. Green. And I read this and it was it had a really big impact on me in terms of thinking about um, racism in the Pacific Northwest and what that looks like historically, what it looks like now, um, what the impact it has on people every day, people of color every day. Um, And then, yeah, so just go read it. It's really good. It's, It's a short, quick read, but it's it's definitely worth checking out.
0: Yep. And I'm going to recommend reading Nate's piece, which I'll link to. Um, And it's not just because it's by Nate, but uh, specifically because it's this idea of we need to call out white supremacy and name it instead of letting it live and exist in the shadows, but also which is not really the shadows. Right. And just that idea of of white people risking because... Everybody else has to risk, so we might as well jump in it and actually it impacts us as well. So I'll link to that. Mm-hmm. if people want to get a hold of you or follow up with some of the things you've said, is there a way for them to do that on um, the socials yeah. or email or
2: uh, so my personal Twitter account is Stubbs Crew, S T U B B S C R E W. Okay. Um I think that'd Great. be the easiest. Cool. Yeah.
0: All right. Um thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. And again, really thanks appreciate for listening, it. everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Listen to our other podcasts like Move to Tacoma, Citizen Tacoma, Nerd Farmer, Crossing Division, Taco Man, and Flounder's B Team. So I was trying to figure out like how we should introduce you. I know. And so I was thinking, I don't know, defining things for you. Like mom, activist, what kinda of, like job? Oh. What do you wanna Oh, I don't care about any of that. I don't know.
1: Say what how you do want. You, Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is sponsored by
0: Alaska Airlines. We We fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel
1: 253.